0: This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hey, how are you?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You've got all your Skype problems fixed.
1: Uh, who knows? We'll see.
0: Exactly. I know it is. <laughs> it's temperamental technology. Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master. Now, you know, we only occasionally conduct interviews about books on Theology on the Go, and mostly those books are from the 16th or 17th century. But today we are going to interview someone about a book that is decidedly from our time. It's entitled No Little Women and is written by our friend Amy Bird. Amy is a wife and mom and may be known to some of you by her previous books, Housewife Theologian and Fighting Faith as well as her work co-hosting another Alliance podcast, Mortification of Spin. Amy has all kinds of interesting interests and uh, interesting things that she's done, and we are delighted to welcome her here. Amy, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And and I wanted to start by talking about women's ministry and then kind of get into the book from there. Uh, We've talked about this before offline, but I hear an awful lot of concerns about women's ministry from pastors and elders in churches. Why is that?
1: Oh, That's a layered question. I think there are several ways to answer that. Um, but one big thing that I've noticed in talking to other pastors and, and women, and then just with all the wonderful women I get to meet um, doing the women's retreats that I do, is that the women's ministry seems these days to function as a peripheral wing of the church. It's its its own ministry, and it's kind of separated from the ministry of word and sacrament. And so I think what happens is there, there's a disconnect, and a lot can go wrong there. Um, in the book, I kind of focus on um, – Scripture in Second Timothy um, chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, where Paul is warning Timothy about false doctrine, false teachers just infiltrating the church. And he says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And I think um, what's going on there is when we read that verse, I'm insulted at first by this weak women or gullible women, some translations say. But Paul's really targeting a certain type of women. And, um, you know, the readers then knew who he was talking about. Um, this was a term of contempt. And the original Greek translates into little women or small women. And I really think it shows how... You know, these women who weren't really working class and had a lot of time on their hands, they were they were targets for false teachers. And I don't think it's just because they were burdened by their sins, which is certainly an important part of that scripture, but it's also because of the influence that women have in a household, particularly the household of God. So I think that, you know, women now are really being marketed to. There's a huge market for women's books in the Christian bookstore. Women are reading more than men. More than twice as much nonfiction Christian books than men
0: it sounds to me like there are a couple of things you 're saying one is yeah any th- time it 's separated from the main ministry of word and sacrament in the church, that introduces a problem, and then the problem 's yes. been with us since the first century and, yes. and you know to your point about the books, I was looking today at the Christian bestsellers from two thousand and sixteen and of the top five, four of them were to women. I didn't count all yeah. 100, but I, it looked to <laughs> me like a, a vast percentage were right. uh, marketed directly to women, written by women for women. And so that speaks to exactly what you're, what you're describing. So then what's the, what's the solution to that? What, how, how do women's ministries become better connected with the central purposes of, of the local church?
1: Yeah, that's another layered question. Um, I think one of the issues that we need to take seriously is, um, so we have all these books marketed to women, written by women, and read by women. But um, how many of these books are pastors aware of, church officers? Um, How many of these books are written for both church officers and the women together? How are the women being invested in, in the church? You know, have we asked these questions about, Well, how does the the ministry of word and sacrament then trickle down into, you know, just the housewife? Um, Our particular women who are gifted in the church to teach, you know, we notice these gifts, um, and so then we appoint them as the teachers in the women's ministry, but are they being invested in? I mean, in Presbyterian churches, it's wonderful that we, we invest well in men because we know that they have the potential to become elders in the church but women also have a lot of influence they have a lot of teaching abilities are they being invested in well too are they able to discern between uh, a good personality uh, and a friendly demeanor you know someone that's likable and the actual content of their teaching what kind of discernment skills are we are we equipping the women in our church with to read these books
0: yeah, and if and if and it sounds like if local churches, maybe even some very sound local churches, don't invest in women in those ways, mm-hmm. then then what will fill the vacuum is right. the, the bestsellers.
1: I see it all the time. I mean I'm in churches where these women are under good preaching, good teaching. And then there's this disconnect somehow between the preaching and then what many of the women in that church are reading for their own sanctification and theological growth. And so that's a question we really need to evaluate more. I try to do that in the book. I'm hoping that church officers will read this book as well. I, I direct many of my much of my writing in there to them as well, because it's just of no use if just the women are going to read it and not the church officers. That kind of sends a message, too, that the women aren't worth investing in.
0: Yeah, that's a profound point. And and so I want to jump into the book uh, now uh, and the specific arguments you make in the book. It it struck me that there were a few different strands running through the book. There's a there's a kind of overview of women and their role in scripture and and some of the the, the dangers that go along with that and then some of the real real positives that come out of it. There's a kind of call to action with suggestions about mm-hmm. connecting women within the local church and then and then a healthy dose of criticism, I think. Could you sort of encapsulate the? Does that capture the strands that you were going for in the book?
1: Yeah, I mean, what I try to do is um, I try to open it up with, with the positive message, you know, that Christ loves his church. He loves it so much that he wants all of his church, including the women, to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And I think everyone believes that, but then how does he do that? for all of us. And I think that's where we begin to fall apart (laughs) a little bit. So I do start with just kind of putting a microscope on women's ministries and um, examining our culture today in the church and then in the greater parachurch community that women are immersed in. And I do give critique there. But then I also kind of really want to focus on what the ministry even is, what does household mean and entail, what is the mission of the household of God and our personal households, and then what does headship mean? So I kind of break down some of those words that we like to use a lot, but I think people use them with different meaning. And then I I wanted to end the book with very practical help. Practical tools to go back to. I didn't want to just highlight. Okay, here are some some criticisms that we have in the women's ministry today, um, and here's some history of how that's happened. But what can we do about it? How can we help? I think pastors, you know, would look at this and be overwhelmed, maybe, at everything that is being uh, marketed to women in their church. And, and what can we do? So I try to give really practical help at the end on um, why it's important to read, what to look for when we're reading how to put our reading through a discernment kind of triage, what questions to be asking, and then I even give excerpts, which I think probably are eye-opening for some pastors who will read, from the popular books marketed to Christian women, and hopefully women can work together using the tools that I just gave to then um, discern what these authors are actually saying and what they're not saying.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that one of the biggest eye-openers in in reading your books, and you touch on this in, in your blog posts and things like that as well, might be that some, some pastors and elders are just unaware mm-hmm. of, of what's out there and what's going on, and it's the kind of thing where they don't want to particularly get involved or step on toes and Mm -hmm. and so they sort of feel excluded from that and they're just unaware of the kinds of things happening so that's very helpful i'm wondering when you talk to women though and and you do Mm -hmm. a lot of uh speaking to women's groups and and i know interacting personally with with many women what are some of the big eye openers for them or or perhaps even for you as you studied and researched for this for this book Right.
1: You know, I, I hear from different, there's different types of women in every church. And often I'll get invited to speak um, because one woman or a pastor or maybe a group of women are hoping to challenge the, the theological climate <laughs> in the women's ministries and their churches. Um, and so when I come, sometimes there's, Like, I'll get emails from pastors or women who do have someone in their church teaching a book that is troubling. And the pastor ends up finding out kind of too late. These women are invested. Um, Their claws are kind of sunken to it now. They like this author. um, And it's personally offending to them at that point for a pastor to step in or from another woman in the group to ask questions about, uh, what this woman is actually teaching. And so even as I'm doing No Little Women retreats, I've noticed, you know, I'm, I try to be sensitive because I know that in that group of women, there's going to be women who are very um, theologically advanced, and then there's going to be women who aren't. And there's going to be women who have read some of the books that I'm going to critique even, but I think it's important to kind of call them out with, with sensitivity. And it's interesting when you get to the end section, I do give them some of these excerpts to work with at the end. I think a lot of times women just kind of read with their own filter, not actually paying attention that that's not what the author's saying. So they might see a term like redemption, and they'll interpret it according to maybe how their pastors told them it means, but they don't realize that the author means something very different when they use that word. So just defining the meaning of an author's terms is a new concept for, for some
0: people. So sort of teaching them to to, to read critically and to read yeah. w- with their eyes open. And, and uh-huh. it's good to give people the benefit of the doubt, but in some cases... They are saying things that we really wouldn't agree with. Yeah. And so
1: some of these women authors, um, they seem to live really godly lives. I mean, some of them are adopting children from third world countries. Uh, um, they're, they own a Chick-fil-A. I mean, that like puts them right up on the Christian list, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're teaching women. They have this passion for the Lord. Um They have these wonderful traits about them. And so to say that their teaching isn't orthodox is almost questioning their whole personhood. And so the ability to be able to separate the likability of somebody and say, yeah, that might be somebody who I'd like to go out to lunch with or somebody that I feel like I could call up when I have a problem. Um, You know, somebody who would treat my children well and I could trust with them at their house. But it doesn't mean that somebody who should be teaching Bible study to us.
0: Now, for pastors who are saying oh boy, I know I know this is a problem or I know this is something that I need to tackle and at least begin the discussion about what are some of the things that they should keep their eye on as they do that so so there 's a discernment piece that mm-hmm. I think you very helpfully uh, guide people through both both women and and church officers men." But what other kinds of things should they focus on? What, what What's their objective in the whole thing? What, what are the main things? Well, I think
1: that they need to build relationships with the women in their church. And so there's going to be women who, whom you can invest in and know, okay, this woman has some discernment skills. I want to invest in that, and then I want to use her as a contact, too, to help me learn about Some more women in the church. I think it would be good for pastors to have invite women sometimes to their um, to their session meetings and and ask some good questions um, to learn more about the struggles the women in their church are going through at the time. um, What holes might there be theologically that they could begin working with um, and then. There's going to be some women that you can invest in who could give you good book reviews, let you know what's out there, books to recommend, and and also teaching the women how to read well, so that instead of just saying "No, that's a bad book, you shouldn't be reading that. It's horrible theology, and then just writing it off. Um, what if you sat in that group with these women and taught them how to ask good questions, to look up, okay, this is what the author's saying. Let's go to Scripture and see what Scripture says here. And I think a really helpful, important thing that church officers can do is to help equip all lay people to read Scripture with the guardrails of our confessions. I think that that would solve so many of these problems. We have, you know, wonderful confessions that we hold to in the Presbyterian Church. And they they serve as helpful guardrails for us when we're reading Scripture and when we're reading other Christian books.
0: Yeah, it is It is striking the extent to which some of these statements of faith and confessions are ignored mm-hmm. um, in certain ministries in the church. Those, those are very helpful guidelines, Amy. I, I wish we had more time to talk, but what I want to say at the end is buy this book, read this book, if you are involved in a church... You can pretty much count on the fact that women are reading all kinds of books that are out there. All you have to do is look at the statistics. So I would commend very highly to everyone who's listening to read No Little Women by Amy Bird. And Amy, thanks so much for giving us your time today.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go Theology on the Go is a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and we are dependent on listeners like you for our support. So if you are interested in supporting the Alliance, you can go to AllianceNet.org or PlaceForTruth.org and make a donation. Now, just for visiting placefortruth.org, we would love to give you the opportunity to have a free copy of Amy's book, No Little Women. So go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go icon, and at the bottom, you'll be able to enter to win a copy of No Little Women. If you don't win, we'd love for you to buy it. It's a worthwhile book, but join us at placefortruth.org and at Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.